Find Your Focus is a recharging space for the ambitious introverted woman. Grab a quick energy boost and reflect on how you want to show up as an introverted leader in your personal and professional life. Here's some inspiring stories of people around the world who've done things differently from society's extroverted expectations. Your host, Heather, a woman's leadership and life transitions coach, founder of a restored radiance coaching for the ambitious introvert, international communicator and marketer, world traveler, UK expat and fellow introvert. Heather aims to help ambitious introverted women find their unique leadership voice and create life transition roadmaps from career changes to moving countries or cities. Join Heather every Tuesday to find your focus, to fill your mindset with positivity and motivation to go after your dreams using your own unique energy blueprint. Your perceived weaknesses are your powerhouse. Before we get started, here's a quick note from Heather. Welcome, welcome, ambitious introvert soul. I'm so happy to have you here on the Find Your Focus podcast. These podcast episodes are crafted with love for you every single week, and I hope this content serves you and recharges you. Now, a couple of quick notes before we begin. I uh, record these uh, podcasts in my home here in Washington, D.C. I live about a mile away from the White House, so you're going to enjoy all the, the sounds of my neighborhood from time to time. And it'll just feel like you're joining me on the couch, and we are diving in deep on great combos with our tea and coffee in hand. So welcome to my home. Also, I'm all about the authentic conversations. And so I want people to feel that they can express themselves, their true selves here. So there will be explicit language from time to time. So keep that in mind um, when you are listening to these. Another note, I refer to women. Now, this is a safe and welcoming place. And I want anyone who feels, who identifies as a woman um, to feel welcome here. And of course, if you don't, identify as a woman, you are also welcome here, but it's primarily for those um, lovely souls who identify as women and ambitious introverts. So with that in mind, let's jump into our next episode. Lots of love. Here is your host. Hello, ambitious introverts. I am so excited to bring to you today our champion athlete and speaker on today's podcast. She is going to be speaking about her journey, which is redefining success after failure. Ileana Garcia is the founder of the Journey to Master blog and the 2020 ATA brand ambassador. She has been training in martial arts for nearly 20 years. Ileana began her journey when she was seven years old when her parents enrolled her in ATA martial arts to build her self-esteem and communication skills. Ileana is a two-time ATA world champion and has traveled abroad as far as Korea to represent Team USA in international competition. She is also the 2011 ESPN Invitational Champion and two-time ESPN 360 Women's Challenger. Although she loves all aspects of training, her favorite continues to be sparring and weapons. It's no secret that another love of hers is board breaking, which can be seen in her ESPN 360 performances where she breaks dozens of boards in minutes. 
Ileana has two bachelors from the University of Florida in marketing and communications and is currently a graduate student at Florida International University. As an aspiring master instructor, Ileana advocates martial arts for children and adults to enhance their mental, physical, and emotional strengths. She explains, I am a firm believer that the meaning of life is to find your gift and the purpose of life is to give your gift away. We are responsible for using our gifts to help others grow into the best versions of themselves. Over the next year, Ileana is documenting, documenting her journey through recovery as she prepares to conquer her next goal, mastership. So without further ado, here is Ileana. Eliana, people have a little bit of background about who you are, um, but can you just jump in and tell us where you came from and how you, how you got to where you are today post-surgery? Oh, definitely. So um, I've been doing martial arts, specifically Taekwondo, for almost 20 years now, teaching, training, competing, and, and traveling the world um, as a member of our organization's Team USA. I've been privileged enough to compete on some pretty big stages on ESPN and, and other platforms as well. And along the way, I've also had the opportunity to create my own competition team here based out of South Florida. Our name is Team Kick It, and our team really encompasses all that is creating your own legacy. So I'm a, a huge believer that we are a, uh, that we're, the meaning of life is, is to find your gift and the purpose is truly to to give it away and so with teaching martial arts and working with children and adults of all ages i've been blessed with that opportunity to be able to do so um and along the way i've, I've had a lot of life learning experiences uh, including my knee surgeries and, and my most recent one and at first i i probably thought that they were kind of a punishment that i was being punished for something and um i was trying to be kicked down and but more recently, and especially within the last six months, year, I've come to the realization that it's probably the best gift that I could have been given because it's changed the trajectory of my life and, and how, I, how I express myself and how I experience things and how I work with people so differently. Mm, mm-hmm. No, I want to come back to kind of how you got to that mindset because I'm sure that there's a lot of ins and outs that went into that hard work to where you are right now. Um, before we go dive into that, I'd like to know how you got into Taekwondo and martial arts. So <laughs> I, uh, I grew up doing any and every kind of sport possible. I was always very physically active and uh, my parents, they wanted to make sure I was always involved in some kind of extracurricular activity, not just academic, but something that would stimulate me and would just give me different skill sets. And I remember at one point, I was about six years old and I was training at a ballet studio. And I hated nothing more, no offense to any of the dancers out there, (laughs) I, I hated nothing more than having to pin my hair back and wear a tutu and go into ballet class. It was pure punishment. It was one of those why me moments. And I remember walking out of ballet class on Saturday mornings and walking past a martial arts studio next to the ballet studio. And I would hear this intense ACDC and Metallica and rock and roll. And I'd see these kids running and hitting pads and breaking boards. 
And I just kept turning around and telling my mother, I want to do that. I want to do that so bad. <laughs> and my father, actually, um, Cuba, my whole family was very much involved in judo, a different style of martial art. And so as soon as I showed interest, he jumped right on finding a location for me to train at. And I had a couple of family members that so happened to be training at that same school. Wow. So I pretty much went in uh, went in for my first class, and the rest was history. I was pretty much hooked from day one. So uh, wow. pretty full immersion, full immersion. <laughs> And so from day one of that class to then um, uh, talk to us and tell us about your um, life as a teenage athlete and what that entailed. So pretty much, and and to kind of go back, when I started martial arts, the first competition I ever went to was our ATA Fall National. And I was actually a month into training as a white belt. So my my cousins who were training with me at the time, they were already further along in their rank progression and they were going. And for us, we're we're really lucky that our uh, national event is usually hosted at Disney at the ESPNY World Sports Center. So obviously everyone in the family is like, well, of course, this is a perfect excuse for a Disney vacation. (laughs) Um, And so uh, I went and I competed for my very first time and I did awful. I did, I effectively, I was awful. I look back at pictures from that competition and I cannot believe that that was me in the most humbling way. But um, <laughs> it was it was one of those experiences where I walked onto the mat and my parents had zero expectation of me other than I have spectacular sportsmanship and that I do my very best. And that's really how my parents had raised me um, and, and continue to do so in any endeavor that I decide to pursue. And their biggest goal or their biggest uh, emphasis was that I leave all of me on the mat. And so since that first competition, I walked out and I think I ended up getting like a third place in in some category, which was pretty awful at the time. Um, And they asked me, how did you like it? And I told them, I'm disappointed I didn't do better. And they said, well, the only way to do better is to go back and continue working on your skills and I said you're right and so they said well is this something you want to continue doing do you think you might want to compete again and I said of course I do and and pretty much from there on that was it Uh, we completely immersed ourselves in in the same way you've got like dance moms Mm -hmm. we were the healthy version of taekwondo taekwondo moms and taekwondo family (laughs) so every weekend um, my parents sacrificed immensely to be able to put me um, you know travel across the country and wherever they could to give me the opportunity to compete. And so probably since I was seven years old, I was actively competing every weekend uh, in martial arts. And for me, uh, as I continued, academics uh, always was the number one priority. Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to continue to be allowed to to have these privileges of of training martial arts, like they would call it, and, and of being able to participate in all these other extra activities, I had to keep my grades up and they made sure that I was able to find resources when I needed them to be able to do that. And so I spent most of my teenage life as an athlete training at the academy, uh, going to school and being a part of every and every uh, activity that I could become involved in. You know, for a short time I did a little bit, I tried doing a little bit of flag football, but it was just too conflictive and schedule. Uh, I decided that I wanted to graduate with my associates during 
high school. So I made it a point to fit that into the schedule as well. Wow. I was a very overscheduled teenager. <laughs> I will say that. <laughs> but uh, my parents were 100% under the belief system. You know, if she's too busy, she will be too busy to get in trouble. So, <laughs> um, I didn't feel like that 100% of the time, but I definitely was um, was very motivated. And I felt that if there was an opportunity that was placed in front of me, it would be wrong of me not to maximize it and, mm-hmm. and not to take advantage of it. And so I, I made the best of all the circumstances and, and of all the sacrifices that were made for me. And uh, I, I put in a lot of time on the mat, you know, and in school during those years. And, and I feel that had I not been so dedicated at that time, it really would have changed how I feel and how I operate as a, a young adult now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I I think the listeners will be surprised to hear just because you seem like you, during that time you had a very full schedule, a very full um, life indeed. And not only that, were you, but you were competing in arenas and, and performing and, you know, um, with um, people watching. So I think they'd be surprised to know that you're an introvert and that you identify as an introvert. Would you be able to talk about how you managed your introverted um, energy during that time and what you needed to do to kind of give yourself those recharging moments to be the best you could be as a a teenage kick-ass athlete? I, um, a lot of people are always shocked when they hear that I identify as an introvert. And I think that you and I had this conversation when we first uh, started Mm -hmm. chatting that initially, as I'm an introverted extrovert. So the way that I like to say that is that I put myself in extroverted situations hoping that I'm going to scare myself out of being an introvert. But that's <laughs> definitely not the case. <laughs> um, probably throughout my entire high school experience, it was almost the, the way an adrenaline junkie chases these these highs. I, I continuously put myself in situations that I felt, you know, if I accomplish this, I'm going to get over it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some points it was, you know, competing on live television. At other times it was actually being a part of speaking engagements, academic speaking engagements, where I would speak in front of, I think the biggest crowd that I've spoken in front of uh, just for speaking has been about 5,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that was at 17. So I felt if I continue putting myself in these situations, I'll definitely get over it. And that was I'll say now, probably the wrong approach <laughs> that was dealing with the uh, surface level problem and, and not the internal one because I I know and I still believe that one of the biggest things that martial arts has given me has been the training with my own self-esteem and my own self-worth. And although I have made, you know, I have grown immensely and I've definitely been able to gain so much from that, I have so much left to learn. And for me, I feel that a lot of that introverted energy is lack of, of self-esteem and, and lack of self-worth where I feel that I could be better. Mm-hmm. And instead of appreciating where I am and giving myself grace where I am, I, I'm seeking that unattainable perfection that creates that introverted energy. If that makes any sense. Mm. So. Yeah, I think I think you pointed out some some interesting areas there as well. That um, even as whether that you're an introvert or an extrovert, you're always going to be dealing with that negative self talk and um, those 
and then you could be seeking external ex um, you could have external expectations that other people might be demanding of you and you're you're kind of driving your and um, choosing your your life um, based on their expectations or what you assume their expectations are and that can really chip away at your own energy levels a hundred percent and I think that the difference in the way that I was probably coached and, and the way that I kept having to be communicated was I, I received a lot of self-assurance, but I also received a lot of tough love. Mm -hmm. So um, at, at, our, at our studio, we like to make the joke and I make it I make the joke to my, my kids. My kids are my students. I, I pretty much have adopted them all, all 200. <laughs> so. um, my, uh, my kids, I make the joke to them, you know, here, here at this school, we build uh, thick thighs and thick skin. And, you know, with all the martial arts kicking and, and all of the, um, the tough love. And that's because I think that truly everyone at some capacity is an introvert. And I think that we all have those situations or those triggers that make us go into that box or, you know, act in that way. And the only way that we can truly learn how to conquer ourselves and conquer that introverted energy is to have true self-worth and, and really believe in, in what we're able to bring to the table and what we're able to contribute you know to our teams to our group to our businesses to society and my instructors were never shy of being hard on me and reminding me that i was capable and that i did have so much to bring to the table and that the uniqueness of why i felt that i wasn't enough was why i was enough and mm. i think that you know that that speaks volumes to the kind of mentorship and the kind of parenting that I was very blessed to have around me. Absolutely. That's amazing that you were receiving that sort of mentorship at such a young age. Um, I'd be interesting, interested to hear as well whether... Um, because you were, as a, the trainee, as a student, um, you were introverted. Um, were the coaches extroverted at all? And if so, was there a different style in coaching? And how did that impact you and your results and how you received the information? So that's a great question. I think that it's a little bit of both. Specifically, my instructor, um, Mr. Ayala, Master Ayala now, uh, he was, I grew up and, I, and I'm still based out of Miami, South Florida area. And the area that I grew up in, in is Hialeah. So people that know that it's like Little Havana, <laughs> very Hispanic, very immigrant uh, based. And so my instructor was an immigrant and he did have English, um, he, he did have some shortcomings with his English and with his accent. And he was very self-conscious of that. And I was able through seeing him in practice overcome it and see him stand in front of the class and, and struggle to find the words and, and to really fill in the shoes of who he wanted to be. I feel like that was motivation enough for me mm -hmm. in, in being able to overcome some of my insecurities because I knew that every time we would put him in a situation where he had to lead a huge leadership talk uh, a lot of our instructors because of our leadership backgrounds and because of our extensive leadership training were asked to go out into the community and we contribute hours you know in helping with leadership coaching and leadership development I mean he wanted to hide under a rock every time mm -hmm. <laughs> and even at a young age I I was blessed to, to be able to be taken under his wing and 
uh, and see him overcome that and see how he was able to really own that part of himself and make it as, as a part of what made him a spectacular leader, you know? He wasn't 100% comfortable with his shoes, but that's what made him great. Yeah. And, and that's what made him so humble. And I think that that level of humility, no matter where you are um, on the success ladder, I think that it speaks it, it speaks a lot about, you know, how much you're willing to contribute and how selfless you are as a leader and, and the kind of impact that you're able to create. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. No, I think it's so important to make that note that, you know, you can keep on showing up, you know, even if you feel like you're at the beginning of a certain learning curve or a certain skill, but if you show up consistently, you're building upon that skill. And that's what a true leader is, that showing up, even when you don't want to, even when you almost feel like you can't and you show up anyway and you're consistent. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I can tell you, I, I, right now how I feel you know with with pain or just you know the the internal battle that I'm going through even though I'm I'm being very open about you know this journey and and my recovery I probably think that 10 times a day I tell myself you need to just unplug from everything and sit here and wallow but I think that I'm at a point where where I've done that Mm -hmm. I've I've had that kind of negative self-talk I've allowed myself to become depressed as a result of injury and that hasn't gotten me anywhere Mm-hmm. It hasn't helped me in my recovery process and my mental and my physical healing and my emotional healing. And that surely isn't helping anyone else because there are so many athletes that the media, that social paints as perfect. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know about you, but I'm, I don't feel perfect. I never feel perfect, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and when I was growing up, I was striving for perfect because that was the image that I was being given. And, it, and it's not just from a beauty standpoint and from a beauty industry, it's it's everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have so many hurdles that we have to jump through because of how media is portrayed. And I, for one, am really grateful that things are changing to where our audiences and people in general, society, they want to see real, they want to see authentic, they want to see raw. Mm-hmm. Because now we're able to truly share ourselves and, and, and show up uh, to these platforms in our true form. Absolutely. And ladies, talk about uh, a true leader. So I'm talking to, talking to Ileana today. This is uh, day five after her outpatient patient surgery. And she's sitting here eloquent, being able to talk. She, she might be in a lot of pain. I don't know, but she's still smiling and she's still feisty as hell. <laughs> So I wanted to talk a bit about um, going back to um, right uh, around 2013, you know, when you were saying that you were at the peak of your career at that point in your life or where you thought was the peak. And, um, you know, kind of talk me through where you were at the time in your mind and your body and then what happened. Yeah, so 2013 was definitely a... uh it was a hard year. There's no, there's no um, <clears throat> way of sugarcoating it. So I was actually at the University of Florida, studying, uh, finishing up my double bachelor's, and I was doing a lot of traveling for competition. At that point, I was about 18, um, 18, 19, 
And so for our organization, that age group, that really is peak mm-hmm. um, because you have the opportunity that they're able to, to have you go out, you know, on behalf of, you know, the organization and really showcase yourself in different competitions around the world. So I was in probably the most competitive class of or, or category of female athlete for Taekwondo in our organization. And I was rocking it. I was the rookie in the ring. Um, you know, we have different categories. If you've ever seen any kind of martial arts training, we have, you know, like traditional forms. Other, you know, people refer to them as platas. We have weapons forms. We have fighting, which is sparring, um, and a couple of different performance-based events. And I was ranked top three in the world in everything. Wow. And, you know, I, I kind of had my, my head on the target, you know, in that sense. <laughs> but I was definitely feeling very optimistic about the direction that I was going um, at the time I was still working I would drive down from Gainesville on the weekends and I would work on coaching our team down here in Miami and then on the weekends that I wasn't down here I was teaching locally at some of our schools up north and then traveling uh, for competition so it couldn't have gotten better in my mind mm-hmm. right and and I think that that was why I had to humbly be sat down and so I remember coming home for uh, for I think it was summer break and I was training right before we were heading out for our district championship. I was already classified for everything to go to the world championship level. I was just going in to see if I can win a couple of titles and and really, you know, kind of warm myself up before competition. And I was at an instructor training and we were doing some light sparring and one thing led to the other and I went to do a kick. Um, I took a hit to the body and my knee locked up in the position that it was at and basically my knee went one way and I went the completely other way and I heard the loudest pop that I can remember it was shocking because I I mean I had been injured a few times before nothing that bad but the pop that I heard sat me down not just from the pain but but from the fear you know your body's not supposed to make those kinds of noises and I remember my instructor being in being an instructor he was at the training he knows that I'm not a complainer and he ran over to my side immediately and he saw the look of horror on my face and uh, he helped me take my, my pads out and rolled up my knee um, my pant leg and he looked at my knee and it effectively looked like a softball growing into like a soccer ball mm-hmm. it was massive and it, it was at that point I was in a state of shock I was in pain but 100%, I can tell you, my biggest concern was I kept telling myself, I can't go to districts. I've just lost my seat at world. <laughs> and I think if you've ever been an athlete and you've been hurt, you 100%, you think about the competition first, mm-hmm. you know, how bad is it? And can I wrap it up? And can I compete, you know? And I kept saying, I, I have to be able to walk. I have to be able to walk. And he picked me up and he, and he put me in his truck and he drove me over to the emergency room. And, and sure enough, they did an MRI and, and they told me, you know, your, your ACL's gone. It's just 100% gone. And I didn't really know what that meant. And if any of you out there think that they are certified doctors and WebMD themselves, <laughs> um, to death, I know I am. I am 100% uh, guilty of WebMDing myself. Uh, probably, and the funny thing is, my best friend is a med student um, at the University of um, 
Northwestern University out in Chicago. Okay. And so I probably text her three times a week telling her I'm dying about something. But <laughs> I, I WebMD'd an ACL surgery, and at the time, all I kept reading was ACL surgery lays out athlete, career-ending injury, you know, and, and all these headlines. And I just could not believe that this is where my story ended. Mm-hmm. And so I was in complete and utter shock, to be quite honest, because I felt that I had put so much time and so much energy that I had invested into myself. And I finally felt that as an athlete, I was coming into my shoes the way that I had wanted to for it to all come to an end Mm -hmm. and uh, that was a a really big pill to swallow (laughs) Um, and I had a lot of people looking out to me and and they were looking to see if if I was going to be able to come out of that okay and um, because of the because of the nature of the surgery and because they had to wait for the healing and whatnot I obviously did not go to district championships um I did make it out to world championships um, because of some other responsibilities that I had, and I took my uniform and I actually actually competed <laughs> in one of the categories. So uh, my mother was not very happy to to see or hear. So in martial arts, we do a lot of yelling, kicking, and screaming, like some of my friends like to say. And mm-hmm. I had put the brace under my pant leg, and most people thought that I wasn't going to do anything. And I'm like, yeah, I can probably still do the weapons forms, and I. Uh, I competed in traditional weapons and I actually came home with a bronze medal. Wow. They were not very happy with that. <laughs> Nobody was very happy to see that I was that I was there because it was a week before my surgery. Um, but it, as as an athlete and and just I felt that I owed it to myself to try. And I probably am not the best person to speak to. Where you know when I get injured and I know that I'm going to need surgery, which at this point you know third time is a charm. I. Uh, I spoke and I and I had people they're like are you crazy you know you're, you're going under the knife in like a week or two and I'm like I know but it, whatever's broken they have to fix it right so might as well might as well get a kick <laughs> out of it and so um, I was able to go and I was able to experience and, and interact and network with a lot of people and and I know that by the way that they were communicating with me a lot of them were kind of saying their goodbyes because they felt that I was going to definitely leave the martial arts world as a result because of it being such a devastating injury and um, later on uh, when I came back home I had surgery and because of all the great WebMD that I had read I was pretty certain that I was going to walk out of the surgery room and I kept telling the doctor I told him I'm like you know I'm pretty sure I'm going to be good I don't need crutches I'm just going to walk out and you know his his tone was no Eliana you don't understand this is major surgery you will not walk for weeks and I'm like you know I completely get that but that's normal people and I'm not normal people so I'm gonna walk I'm I'm gonna walk out of this the same way that I walked into it Mm -hmm. he's like you're not you're really not and I'm like you know Dr. Diaz it's okay I've got this don't worry he's like okay whatever lets you sleep at night (laughs) I remember going in for for pre-op and and sitting there and, and being overly confident, which definitely was not the right move. Uh, but I, I remember worse waking up and not feeling my leg at all. And and almost, you know, I can't I can't say that I know what other people feel like, you know, that, that have, you know, like amputee or whatnot, but it was a fear mm-hmm. because I, I looked down and I was trying to actively move my leg, but the nerve block wouldn't allow me to. And 
I tried picking up my leg to kind of adjust it in the bed and mm -hmm. there was no feeling whatsoever. And the nurse came in and she saw the look of horror on my face and obviously she called my mother and my father in. And they came over and they saw the look of horror and shock. And, and I think that at that moment they knew that I had, that a part of me had, had crumbled inside. And that was really just probably the worst of, of all the injuries because mm -hmm. I had been so certain that I was going to be able to walk out of there okay. And, and all the things I had read that I had confidently said that's not going to be me I felt consuming me and uh, and as a result I, I fell into a really dark space where I was very judgmental of myself I, I kind of disassociated myself as an athlete but I still was operating and thinking like one you know mm -hmm. at the root so it was a very challenging time for me and because of some complications that I had with the first surgery on the left leg uh, it took me about, I want to say, 15, 15 months total before I had full mobility again to my leg, which was which was very hard mm -hmm. because it was even longer than the expected recovery time that I had read online. So definitely a challenge. Mm, absolutely. And it, I can't imagine um, going from finding one way to that's like it, it's your passion not only is it your passion but it's probably something that you do to connect with your body and to work out anything in your mind you know going to going from a life where you have that daily or consistently in your life and then going to um, a life where not only do you have your passion where you can't really engage in it fully at the level that you're used to but you're you're dealing with a lot of the emotional um baggage that um or challenges rather that um the surgery brought up can you talk to us about um what it was like in that sticky period and how you were able to transition into um a better mindset and work through um the post-surgery well for for that first surgery like i had said it was probably the hardest and i spent a lot of the time being very angry, very angry at myself. Uh, a lot of a lot of anger towards you know the the people around me that had been there when I had gotten hurt. I was trying to find blame and 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 you know kind of put it on somebody else. When the reality was, you know, you're an, you're an athlete. When you're an athlete you always are susceptible to injury, you know, and I'm very fortunate that it's only been, you know, these few injuries, and I say that lightly, but these few injuries that I've been blessed that I can come back from. It is something that you can end up walking away from, you know, sure, it's it's not ideal to, uh, to take a year off or to take, you know, a certain amount of months off, but it's something that you can come back from. I didn't really see it that way. I saw my friends, my competitors, and my colleagues they were all excelling uh, at this peak because of where we were at in our age and just you know where we were at in our career and having always been the underdog in competition which is something I I seldomly share I was never the most skilled naturally skilled uh, I was never the most athletically built and a lot of that I came to find had to do with uh with a hormone irregularity, which my surgeon actually helped me uh, find out about, which I could I can't thank him enough even to this day. But 
I always felt that I was the underdog and, and that, you know, I had finally made it to this peak and I just wasn't meant to, to ascend that mountain. Why, you know, like why me? It's not fair. All of that jazz ran through my mind. And my father continuously would tell me that this is a lesson that the universe is trying to bring to you. This is a lesson that you are trying to learn. You are fighting so hard against learning whatever this lesson is meant to bring that you're not making the most of this experience. And you're here. You're nowhere else. This is where you're at in your life. And you have two choices. Again, with the tough love. You can either suck it up and really open your eyes and see what benefits this brings and, and what road you were going down that maybe you weren't meant to go and how you can change your path for the better. And after hearing that about 10 times and 10 months in, <laughs> I, I finally came to the realization, well, pouting is not gonna get me anywhere. You know, Being spiteful to my poor PT, Ema, uh, at, the, <laughs> at the surgeon's office is not gonna get me anywhere. Um, maybe, maybe I should try what dad said. <laughs> and so um, I kind of looked at things through a different set of glasses you know and, and with a new a new outlook and I told myself maybe I wasn't at my peak maybe this is not what my peak is meant to be you know and and inadvertently the universe as you like to say you know universe God whomever mm-hmm. I kept getting these opportunities put in front of me as a coach where I had these students that like me when I was younger were a little rough around the edges that needed a little bit more help that you know were not the the most naturally talented but they were definitely some of the hardest workers in the room and as a result i put my energy into coaching them and into guiding them through what i felt was once my experience and as a result getting better physically to be able to be a better coach to them and when I changed my outlook in that way I can tell you that I was I was finally able to see the light because I had found purpose and where I had you know allowed myself to be carried by this stigma of what an athlete should be I was able to really set foot into who I should be Mm-hmm. And, and to me, you know, Ileana is not just Ileana. Ileana is Miss Garcia. Miss Garcia is the instructor. She's the coach. She's the person that's cheering you on. She's also the person that's, you know, yelling at you to point your toes during that routine. You know, it's and keep your hands up in that match. So I, I think that it was a very eye-opening experience to change my outlook on, on what my purpose was. Because before, when my training was self was only really self-serving I was able to change the switch and, and make it become something more selfless and and that's when I that's when I began team kick it and, and I was able to to really start creating that legacy that I'm so proud of and that I I hope to continue growing oh the power of um, a different perspective right and the power of your own mindset right oh. we truly are in control so absolutely <laughs> as scary as that is um, I think so many of our listeners would really relate to that story of, of 
you know, coming up against a humongous obstacle, whether that be um, a personal or a physical obstacle, and um, thinking it's the end of the world, and then um, going through the muck and the sticky, um, like dark night of the soul um, area, and then getting to the other end and seeing that there are so many other opportunities. And like you were saying, those lessons from the universe that show you a different route or a new route that shows you so many more passions and connections than you even imagine. Yes, I, I can't agree more. And I feel that as the years have gone past and as I've been tested again with, with all these lessons, all these lessons, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah his, Clearly, I'm missing boat on some of these. Either that, or the universe has a lot. The universe has a lot to tell me, and I keep saying you can send it in an email, but that's not working out. So <laughs> here we are. Oh, girl, same, <laughs> same you, here. Apparently, you know, instant messenger is not their way of communication. But, They're uh, so rude. But yeah, I, I think that uh, every time that I've been hurt since then, whether it's been something small and it's been, you know. A, an exchange that I've had or, or you know something that I would have considered as a failure uh, or one of my injuries that you know I've had to overcome again I think that that perspective and I, and I like to ask myself that question you know I go back and I put myself you know in 2013 Indiana's shoes and I say you know all right dad what what did they teach me you know what is the universe trying to teach me and although I might do it sometimes rolling my eyes uh, <laughs> I, I allow myself to to move into this space where I'm really opening them and and changing that perspective. Mm, absolutely. And I'd be really interested in hearing, um, so you now as Eliana, the coach, um, as well as the athlete and the coach to, what do you say, 200 um, kids? Um, yeah. Um, how has this new route, this new um, journey, shaped, uh, helped you find your voice as an introverted leader? Well, I, I think that it's, it's something that I'm still coming to terms with. And because back in, back in 2016, I was injured again. Like we had discussed, I actually injured my other knee um, right before going out onto an ESPN Invitational Showcase. And at the time, you know, having come back from the first injury, never having thought that that would have been an opportunity, I get a call from our organization saying, hey, you know, we want to showcase you on ESPN and we want you to be the female representative for your division. And, and that is a huge honor. Uh, the amount of talent in our division and the women across the world that they could have selected and, and to have selected me is is something that I still get goosebumps over because they truly allowed me to be a voice where when I thought that I didn't have one in that in that platform or at that stage again and at the time I, I kind of veered from that path where I, I became a little bit more centered around myself where I started focusing on my own personal um, performance and my own personal improvement again uh, in conjunction with with coaching and, and with growing other people uh, and it was because at that point in my life I still felt that my physical skills were what really made me me and I, I still thought that those were the 
defining factors that were going to change me and, and really put my name on the map again. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, I, I went on that first showcase. I was able to represent proudly. And the year after, I was invited back on. Uh, and at that time, it was actually a, a, a showcase where they were they were doing Brazil versus USA, and I was the the USA representative. So I couldn't even be more prouder. I am such a I am so proud to be an American. That's a, uh, especially coming from uh, immigrant parents and and being told about all the opportunity that there is here and seeing their sacrifice and what it's been able to prove to me. I I just couldn't be prouder to represent and to re represent as a Latina. Um, a Latin American, it, it's just, again, goosebumps. Mm -hmm. And days before I went out um, for our press release week, I injured my knee. And I, again, heard that pop, which is now the most terrifying sound in the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was left on the floor of the mat. I had to have some of my team, they carried me out onto the bench and they were shocked because they knew I I was probably in the best shape of my life at that point. I thought that I was going to do better than the year before. Um, all of the things. And I could barely stand up right. And so there was, you know, I had two choices. I either muscled through that to be able to still showcase uh, or I gave up. And I knew that the likelihood of me being able to win was minimal because the competition was very stiff in the best way possible. She was bringing her A game and I was going in there basically with one leg, which is definitely not how you should do martial arts. <laughs> not in that, not in that, in that stage. But I looked around and I saw a lot of these students that were used to me saying to go out there and give it 150% and no matter what you had to go out there and give all of yourself. And I knew that the only choice was to go out there and, and do what I could. And and looking back at those videos and at the highlight reels, I, um, I did an amazing job. I couldn't be prouder of my team that went out there and they showcased with me because whenever I had the opportunity to put them in front of a camera or put them, you know, in a position where they would, you know, later grow in their martial arts career, I've taken it. And I couldn't be prouder of the example that I showcased by being able to go out there and, and perform under the conditions that I was in. And, and I didn't win. And that was okay. And I think for me, that was a really big turning point because it was never not okay for me to win deep inside. But in my mind, when I went out there, I told the rest of, of the team and, and I had told myself, if I can get through the performance and I can put together and I can show out something seamless that USA can really be proud of, then that's that's the trophy in itself. So, um, for me, that was that was a really big turning point, and and probably in the last six to eight months, having been injured again and having to go through this once again, um, I had never really shared a lot of what I went through, and a lot of that has to do with with still trying to fit that role of that perfect athlete. You know, at least you know on social and publicly and when people ask you know are you fine i'm great and and the truth is i'm not fine i'm not okay mm -hmm. i'm in pain it's a struggle every day is a new journey but i'm here to share that with you if you want to hear that with me and so i think that that's truly changed the the way that 
that I perceive things and and really I I want to to make sure that this if this injury is going to mean something it's going to be an avenue of of hope it's going to be a source of motivation for those that feel that they can't stand up for for the people that were where 2013 Liana was in Uh, at that time and that may not have somebody to tell them you know what does this mean you know find a bigger purpose in in your injury or, or where you're at in your life right now and if I can do that and I can just motivate a few people then I think that it will have been well worth it because I, I think that as an athlete and as a martial artist more importantly it's challenging to see beyond the physical but that's truly what we do in martial arts mm-hmm. uh, I, I tell parents that come to me all the time you know I can teach your kid how to kick I can teach him how to punch but, but that's not really the value that's not why we brought them here uh, the kicking the punching you know all of that that's the that's the vehicle of, of how we we allow them to to truly learn the life skills that are going to change their life dramatically and so I'm, I'm hoping that journey to master and and this blog and, and everything that I'm doing to speak my truth that it can be that for others. Hell yes, girl. Oh, I got goosebumps listening to the passion behind your why and and what drives you through that pain and um, the challenges that you've been facing. Um, my, My next question really is, for the ambitious introverts who might be listening, for the Latinas who might be listening, who want to join in sports, but don't see themselves or a version of themselves there, what would you tell them? It's gonna sound really, really cliche, but you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And every time that an opportunity had been presented to me, I said no internally and probably externally to my parents and to my sister a hundred times. And I, verbally walk through why I can't do it, why I absolutely cannot. It's just not a part of me. It It's not capable. I am incapable of fulfilling, you know, X goal. Um, and then I, I'm fortunate enough to have strong people around me that, that walk me through, but what if you do? Well, what are you losing in trying? I think a lot of times we're so concerned. And, and one of the things about being an introvert and, you know, at least in my own experience, is this sense of, of fear of failure. And it is this immense fear of failure and this immense fear of what people are going to think about you. And you can be as successful as the next person, but there's always that underlying fear. Mm-hmm. And... And it, and it controls you sometimes and it, and it holds us back from really showing up 150% and as an introvert I think that surrounding myself with people that tell me to play the game to say yes to stand up to give it a shot my personality is very different in the sense that I am very strong willed um I'm very stubborn. <laughs> if you haven't gotten that, uh, I'm very opinionated and vocal. I'm all of the things, but I'm still an introvert <laughs> uh, in the way that I process my emotions. Mm-hmm. And for me, having those strong people around me that understand the way that I work and understand the way that I operate, 
and still push me despite my pushback. I think that that is is something that is 100% necessary and it's critical to, to your success. Uh, the words of it takes a village, it, it really does take a village and it's not just to raise a child, it's, it's to raise yourself. And at some point when we're taking control over our lives, we have to assume responsibility of the kind of company that we keep um, and the kind of people that, that we want to push us and to motivate us. And so for me, I try to always put myself in a space where, you know, I'm going to be motivated to say yes. And I know myself enough now from experience that I know when to say no. Mm -hmm. And I think that as you say yes enough times, you learn when you're supposed to say no. And, And that comes with time and that comes with experience. But you can't hold yourself back. There's, there's, there's nothing uh, that you gain from holding yourself back and, and, and everything is possible in just saying yes and, and putting yourself out there. So I would, I would say, whatever, you're, whatever you don't want to do, let me be that friend. I'm sitting here, I'm next to you. Mm-hmm. Say yes. That, speak, that speaking engagement that you're afraid of saying yes to, just say yes. If, you know, that job that you don't know if it's going to really work out because you don't know if you can really figure it out, just say yes. My sister has a saying and it's swim or swim. (laughs) So not sink or swim, it's swim or swim. I'm either going to swim or I'm going to swim. I'm going to figure it out. And and when you allow yourself to only operate in that uh, line Mm -hmm. or in that mentality, it changes your perspective immensely because it's swim or swim. It's not if I'm gonna do it, it's how I'm gonna do it. And and when you change that conversation and that you know internal talk and that self-talk that you're having, it really does change the outcome for you. Oh, it's so true. That fear of failure can be such a self-sabotage if we allow it. But when we realize that what's, le- what's there on the other side of fear is so much better than what we could imagine, then like you said, it's like kick with one leg if you have to, swim or swim to get to that other side. You're going to have that fear no matter what. That's part of the human experience. That's what makes us all very similar. But it's down to you to to work through that fear and know that it's normal. And it's not something to be afraid of. Yes, 100% agree. Uh, swim or swim? <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so, She's um, going to ask me to patent that. You <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um so what is next um now that you're obviously right now you are focusing on your um, physical health and and getting back um healing after a surgery but you mentioned as well about a um master um training that you're working on as well what's what's up for you so right now uh where i'm at in my martial arts career i am what we call a fifth degree black belt instructor. And so right now where I'm at in my training is, besides recovery, uh, I'm basically waiting right now. I have completed my prerequisites, if you, um, so to speak, for my sixth degree testing. And in our organization, the rank of sixth degree black belt is also accompanied by the rank and the title of master instructor. And a part of that, comes a year-long training journey 
where you're not only focusing on becoming physically stronger, but also mentally stronger and, and really learning how to become a better individual and how to be show up better for your students, for your community, for those that you mentor. And so in order to, to achieve that rank of six degree black belt, uh, you do have to test. Um, and it is a physical test first. You have to pass the physical test to then be able to apply to go through the, the mastermind, if you will. Mm-hmm. Master, mastermind. <laughs> um, and as of right now, I'm due to test in July of 2021. So I'm, I'm pretty much right under the two-year mark uh, for recovery. And I know that that seems like a really long time for, for many that are hearing this and, and might not know what an ACL recovery, an ACL revision, which is what I had, really uh, entails. But it's, it's not that much time to be able to recover. Mm-hmm. And I know for myself, I had always made it a goal to test at, uh, at the earliest possible time because I have made so many amazing friends and so many amazing martial artists that are business owners, that are parents, you know, that are leaders in their community, that are a part of what we call our master class. And so I've got a good group of about 50 uh, of them that are destined to test with me in 2021. And I will, and excuse my language, be damned if I cannot test with them. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, and they are all very supportive of me in that journey and and in this journey, this journey to master. And and that's what I really am focusing on right now and making sure that I stay in the best mental positive state to be able to physically uh, improve and and get ready for that test. Uh, I'm, I'm probably destined to have at least about 12 months of really slow recovery from a, from a, more baseline uh, physical therapy standpoint and then after that it's introducing more explosive movement and and sports specific activity I'm very fortunate to have an amazing PT and personal trainer Arnold Noah with Performance Works he is the absolute best I actually met Arnold when I was 15 and I was rehabbing like a sprained ankle and he was actually an intern at the physical therapy studio that I was Uh, training at and you know years passed and in like 2014 our paths crossed again and he took on my PT and so he's brought me back to life the last two times (laughs) so I tell him third time's a charm he's not very happy with me right now you know (laughs) because he thought that we would be in a different place in my training but it's I, I love being able to work with people that are that understand where I'm at as an athlete mm-hmm. mentally understand where I'm at physically understand when to tell me to go harder and understand when to tell me to sit down mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm very much the person that needs to be told to sit down sit down real quick because <laughs> we are not looking to do this a fourth time so uh, yeah I'm I'm very optimistic about the the next two years and the next year and a half uh, and and as a result I think that the voice that I've been able to create for myself and and through these last couple of years and and injuries and experiences, people are listening and and people understand who I am as a person and who I am as an athlete and who I am as a coach. And I think that it's, it's now come full circle and I'm being blessed with opportunities that in my mind I shouldn't be getting it, or at least I keep telling myself I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be having uh, because of where I am right now wrapped up leg up in the air 
um, <laughs> mobile as can be. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to, to be able to say that uh, I have these opportunities coming my way and it's thanks to the support system that I've been able to build around me. Fantastic. And what are some of those um, opportunities that have presented themselves while you're, you're taking time to heal? Well, I'm very excited to announce, and well, this is coming up. This is March, so we, mm-hmm. we can talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually got the call probably a week before I went into surgery, so a week ago, that I have been selected to become a 2020 ATA brand ambassador, which is an amazing honor. <laughs> uh, to, yeah, I'm, I was completely blown away by that phone call. Um, to be able to be the face of an organization that has meant so much to me in my childhood, in my adulthood, and now as I move into more womanhood, it it's truly breathtaking because I feel that I now have the opportunity to be that voice and to be the face of motivation for others that I looked up to once. Mm-hmm. And, and to really say my truth and, and to speak my truth in a different way because I'm not the perfect athlete and I am not the highest kicker uh, I'm not the most fit <laughs> person that, that we know but I will say that I, I love my students and I love this organization and I love everything that martial arts stands for and everything that it is able to teach and to provide I know that everything that I had accomplished, I would not have been able to have done so without the kind of life skill development training and leadership training that I had thanks to those sacrifices of my mentors, of my coaches, of my instructors, and of my parents growing up in in such a, a structured and in such a diverse organization. So uh, very excited about that opportunity and to, to have reminded them about my upcoming uh, surgery and, and limited mobility and to hear them say, no, it's okay, we still want you. That's why we want you. Fantastic. I, I think that that's even, that's even more powerful because it speaks to what our eternal grandmaster um, had spoken and, and is his legacy and he always says, today impossible tomorrow possible Mm. and so here today we say make it possible and so with the right mindset with the right action plan anything you can make possible so i'm i'm really excited to be able to maybe come back onto this podcast you know in in 2021 and and to talk to you guys about my actual journey through mastership and and to speak to you about about the kind of transformation that I'm undergoing now as a master candidate and and as future master Garcia. Yes, girl. (laughs) Oh, well, I would absolutely love for you to come back and share that journey because I am sure it's going to be epic and I can't wait to to learn through you and through your experiences. Um, For those um, who are listening, um, can you explain what this master, why this master instructor um, title is so important and and kind of the the weight it holds in the community? So for our organization, master instructor is a title and a position 
given to those that have had a certain amount of years of training but have also undergone a certain level of mental and emotional education and the same way we would you know talk about a, a master's in business or in science it it speaks to that same level of of education in the martial arts world and in our organization we are actually the only organization that has multiple levels of mastership so one of the things that the ata is fantastic on is that your journey never really stops you are continuously learning and as one of our emeritus grandmasters said there's always more to learn and i think that we can all agree mm -hmm. with that and so the growth doesn't stop there is no glass ceiling we just continue persevering and pushing forward um and so for for mastership as a child when i started training i i started assisting teaching classes at about eight years old um and i was just holding targets for other kids and you know like trying trying to get involved any which way i could because i was just so in love and, and overwhelmed by the community that martial arts really brought me and for me i i knew that i was going to be an instructor I was, I was very sure of myself. I was going to be a black belt. But the one thing that I put on a higher pedestal was, was that mastership. And so for me, my, my first true goal um, in instructorship was and is earning that level of master. And, and for me, regardless of the accomplishments that I've had, although I celebrate them and although I live, I live them every day in practice, until I earn that title of mastership, I won't feel that I have completed my first journey in martial arts. And so for me, and it's been about 20 years in the making <laughs> because it, I set that bar for myself at a really young age and it's been an active conversation that has always been had with my mentors, with my parents and with my instructors. And, and my parents, like I said before, they've just been nothing but overwhelmingly supportive and i think that that you know speaks volumes to what i've been able to achieve because in my darkest moments they they were the ones that helped pull me out mm -hmm. and when when it wasn't them it was the motivation of being better for my students and so i think that it's important for our organization and for the little girls growing up to to see that there is more female masters in a in a male dominated sport there are women that are achieving this title and this uh level of mastery i think that it's important that they see you know women of different ethnic and cultural backgrounds that are achieving these these levels i think it's important for them to see people from very different socioeconomic backgrounds that despite their shortcomings they've been able to achieve these, you know, these titles and, and um, these accolades, because having been that child that looked up to people and, you know, didn't really know what was truly possible for myself, if I could truly achieve it, seeing those underdogs and, and, and seeing those women that were paving the way at the time for martial arts, that was truly inspiring because I knew that it wasn't 
a gender-specific sport. It wasn't, you know, segregated to just men could be masters. No, women could be masters. And, and if you see a couple of them, let me tell you, they will put the fear of something into you because they are just, they are beautiful, they are graceful, they are strong, they are fierce, and, and I can only hope to to aspire to be as strong a woman as they are, not just in our field, but their presence. They are the kind of women that walk into a room and own the room, and, and having been an, an introvert and identifying as an introvert, I think that being that for somebody else and being that for myself, that's that's why I hold it to such a high standard and to such a high level. Oh, I can. Oh, that sounds amazing. And Eliana, I can't wait to follow you on your journey and to join in um, as you rock that uh, master instructor um, development and practice and leadership. Um, where can the other women who are he- joining us now, where can they follow you on your journey? So right now I am pretty much blogging and video video blogging on my journey on Instagram. So you can check me out at journey. J-O-U-R-K-N-E-E, get it, (laughs) to master, so journey to master, uh, and definitely give me a follow and check out my recovery journey and and also just check out my my growth as a a martial artist, as an instructor, and and as a woman really finding her way in this organization. I'm I have a couple of projects coming up and, and we've got a lot of work that we're going to be doing with ATA Martial Arts. And so there'll be a couple of links in the bio there that you guys can click on, which is really exciting. Uh, but most of most of my journey is going to be on there on Instagram. And, and it's mostly because I want to do my best to post in real time to not allow myself to be a perfectionist and obsess about things. So I feel like... <laughs> yes. I feel like Snapchat mm, is a little ghetto. So, you know, like Instagram is the second best option <laughs> where we can post in real time. I mean, like you hop on stories, you hop on Instagram live and, and that's it. Like they're seeing the nitty gritty. Like there is, there is no face tuning that. So <laughs> <laughs> in my authenticity, that is where I would like to show up. <laughs> Excellent. And ladies, I'll have um, Eliana's uh, Instagram handle and all of the links that you can click and find her on her journey in the show notes below so go there um and eliana i can't wait to have you on again in a year's time and seeing how you're smashing even more um ceilings fake ceilings false ceilings and just (laughs) kicking ass (laughs) thank you heather thank you so much for having me it's it's such a pleasure to be able to to speak to my journey and, and to be able to share my experience with others that that may be having their own journey as well so thank you so much Thanks for listening to this episode. Hopefully it gave you the boost you needed to start your week. If it did, it would be appreciated if you spent two minutes right now to give this podcast a review on iTunes and then share the episode with an introverted friend who needs to hear this message. Your review will make sure other ambitious introverts who are struggling to find their voice and focus find this show and can receive the love and support we hope you felt today. Thank you. And remember, your perceived introverted weaknesses are your powerhouse.